Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. From Luke 19. He entered Jericho, as Jesus, and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me uh, with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the chance to meet here this morning. Um, and we pray that you open up your word to us. We know that it is living and breathing. And we pray that it pierces us to our marrow. Uh, all these things we ask in your Son's name. On Christmas Day 2009, I flew across the country with a very important object in my pocket. I was going to propose to Krista, my now wife, and uh, a couple months before that, I had been at my grandma's house. And I was telling my grandma of my plans to propose. You know, this isn't like a five-minute conversation with your grandma. It's, you know, a 30 to 60-minute conversation or longer. And after we were chatting, she went back into her bedroom And she came back out to the couch with a jewelry box and said, David, I have been widowed for six years now. This ring faithfully served me for 58 years. And I think that it would be a blessing to you right now. Wow, you know, Grandma, this is incredible. Such a huge blessing, not only in addition to saving me a a pretty penny, but also the fact that there's this historicity and this sentimentality and what a, what a gift, right? What a gift. So I fly across the country. I've got this ring in my pocket. Beautiful New England, snowy Christmas day. I'll spare you the details, but uh, she said yes. Great. Awesome. And glided that ring right over her knuckles, all right? Beautiful day, wonderful celebration. The next day, less than 24 hours later, we're out and about after, you know, some more like Christmas celebration stuff, running a few errands on the 26th, and one of our stops was Michael's, you know, the, the craft store, and so we walk into Michael's, we do our shopping, and we get up to the little conveyor belt checkout area with the most like ashen, ghost-like face. Krista looks back at me, she says, the ring, I lost it. Less than 24 hours later, 
the ring was missing. We pull our stuff off the conveyor belt. I'm going through the store. I'm on my hands and knees. If you've been to Michael's, you know there's about a million things that are about this size throughout Michael's. I get on the loudspeaker. I'm telling like an army of people, like, can you please help us find this ring? All this, you know, sentimentality wrapped up in the past, the cherishing, the present, hope for the future, it's all wrapped up in the symbol of this ring. And the ring was lost. The Bible, too, talks about lostness. We just read from Ezekiel 34 about the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus has parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin and two lost brothers. Why all of this development of the theme of lostness in the Scriptures? And here's what I think is the reason. is because we all suffer from the chronic disease of lostness. We all suffer from the chronic disease of lostness. Maybe early on in our business practice, we were steadfast in being scrupulous about having high ethics and and standards, but um, we realized that cutting a few corners might give our bottom line a little bit of a boost. Or maybe with our kids or grown kids or our spouse, we didn't know that a decision here or there could put our relationships on the rocks. Lots of stories about lostness that we could apply, but we all suffer from the chronic disease of lostness. And here we come to another passage about lostness in this Zacchaeus passage. Now, the Zacchaeus passage in Luke 19 is a very familiar one. If you've grown up around the church, we all know about Zacchaeus, this wee little man who climbs up into a sycamore tree. But this is anything but a wee little story. This is a very important and climactic story in Luke's gospel. Luke has been weaving themes throughout his gospel, themes of lost and and found, themes of rich and poor, themes of rejoicing and grumbling, themes of hospitality and having doors slammed in your face. It's almost as if we are in a dark theater And you know the big spotlight that's up on the performer up on stage. But in this case, there's like three or four big beams of light. All these thematic beams of light shining on this Zacchaeus passage right here in Luke's gospel. The gospel of Luke can be divided up into three main sections. The first nine-ish chapters or so, Jesus is doing his stuff in Galilee. He's doing his work up in Galilee. And then the next ten chapters... He is on his way to Jerusalem. He turns his face towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And the last five or six chapters are about his passion, about his triumphal entry and then his trial and his death and resurrection in those last few chapters of Luke. This story right here happens right between the second and the third sections. Luke 19 sits right there. And again, it's like Luke is like trying to shine a beam right on this Zacchaeus passage. I don't think it's too much to say that this is, in the Gospel of Luke, the climax of Jesus' public ministry before entering Jerusalem. Clearly, Luke and all the Gospel writers are are highlighting the last week of Jesus' life. But before that, anticipating it, this is Luke's 
big story right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Okay, three things I want to look at today. First, Jesus seeks sinners. Jesus seeks sinners. Uh, Jesus stays with sinners. And then last, Jesus saves sinners. Jesus seeks sinners, Jesus stays with sinners, and Jesus saves sinners. So first, Jesus seeks sinners. Who was Zacchaeus? Luke is the only gospel writer that gives us an account of Zacchaeus. So we can't look at Matthew or Mark or John to understand who Zacchaeus was. Nothing outside of the Bible is going to mention Zacchaeus to us. So we have to look at these ten verses. Zacchaeus will forever be remembered based upon the ten verses that we just read. But we do get some information from him from Luke. A number of things, but two of them that I want to highlight. One is that he was a chief tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Nowhere else in the Bible do we see a chief tax collector. We see lots of other tax collectors, but we don't see any other chief tax collectors. He's got people working for him. Now, at this point, it's helpful to know a little bit about the tax collecting system during this time. So Rome occupies this territory, and it it can get a little bit turbulent at times, but they definitely want to collect their taxes. They're like, hey, you owe us some money. But there's some overhead to that, and there's some ill will that might come with that. So they're like, hey, Jewish people, does anybody want to help us collect taxes? Does anybody want to rake this in for us? And there's maybe a handful of people who are like, yeah, that sounds like a a lucrative deal. Maybe I'll sign up for that. So there's a handful of people who volunteer, and Rome's like, okay, how about this? Whoever can give us the biggest lump sum up front, that's your job. You can do it. So Zacchaeus puts his money in, right? He's got a lot of money, and then Rome basically has no oversight after that. They're like, hey, you, you're the man, you do it, do it however you want to. Just give us this money up front. And the system was set up for bribery and corruption, extortion, all sorts of bad stuff. So Zacchaeus is Jewish, but he's gone over to the dark side. It's kind of like Darth Vader, right? This is like, he's like a bad dude. He has like abandoned his people. And not only that, he is stealing our money. He's asking way too much for what we actually owe him. So somewhere between like Darth Vader and Bernie Madoff, all right? This is like an awful person. Just like nobody likes Zacchaeus. He's got no friends, but he does have a lot of money. Completely contrasted with the chapter right before this, I told you there's, there's themes throughout the Gospel of Luke. And one of those is rich and poor. In the chapter right before this, we have the rich young ruler in Luke 18 who approaches Jesus and says, how can I be saved? And in the, in the end, he walks away sad because he's not willing to part with his possessions, with his wealth. This theme of rich and poor is building up into this story with Zacchaeus. All right, so we have tax collectors in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus calls Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, and he goes into his house, and he's got friends. And things in the Gospel of Luke usually end up pretty well for tax collectors. Tax collectors 
end up being favored, so to speak, with Jesus. Things end up okay for tax collectors. But on the other hand, we have this theme of rich people. And in the Gospel of Luke, things oftentimes don't end up super well for rich people. Not that it's the money that's the problem, but it's the love of money that is the problem. So we've got some tension, and Luke is building it right into the Zacchaeus passage. On the one hand, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Things might turn out well. On the other hand, he's rich. Uh Uh-oh, things might not turn out so well. What is going to happen to Zacchaeus? And here's, here's the answer, is that Jesus seeks sinners. Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. He goes after Zacchaeus. He goes after him, and he looks up in the tree, and he calls him by name. He looks up in the tree and and says, Zacchaeus, come on down, for I'm going to your house today. As far as we know, Jesus never had any interaction with Zacchaeus before this moment. Some sort of divine gift tells him that he knows this man's name, Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. Names are so important, aren't they? I could go off on a, on a big tangent here about how names are super important to God. And if names are important to God, then they're important to me. Um, I know it's, names can be hard, but he has called us by name, and we are his. And he calls Zacchaeus by name. He looks up in the tree and says, come on down, Zacchaeus. Here is Jesus on his way, about to enter Jerusalem, on his way to the most climactic event in human history. And he's got nothing more important on his agenda than to call a despised tax collector out of a tree and go hang out with him. Tax collectors were seen as unclean. If you came in contact with a tax collector, you had to go through ritual purification because they were unclean and their uncleanness then spread to you. Almost like the way COVID spreads, you know, several months ago, maybe even more of a concern than now, but this is like uncleanness spreading, and a tax collector is always unclean. And to go into a tax collector's house, totally unacceptable by Jewish law. So Jesus enters into, he seeks Zacchaeus. Every Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, of him entering into the world. And we can think about that on a cosmic level. I think we can also think about that on a personal level and how Jesus enters into our lives, into our space, into our world. I might be apt to rename this sermon The Incarnation According to Zacchaeus. This is the incarnation according to this tax collector. All right, so Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. He seeks sinners. Jesus seeks sinners. Second, Jesus stays with sinners. Jesus stays with sinners. Look again with me at verses 5 through 8. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Right after I graduated high school, so 
June when I graduated high school, the same as these five or six graduates, I went for a big road trip. And one friend of, of mine and I, and we drove 7,000 miles north, south, east, west, all over the country. It was a blast. We had a good time. Somehow, in our brains, we didn't think to put in our budget uh, lodging. Seems, seems like a kind of a basic requirement, but, uh, you know, golf made it on the list, but lodging was, uh, you know, somewhere tertiary. And so we're, we're staying with friends or friends of friends, in some cases friends of friends of friends, and um, my mom's request for us was that basically, like, just have it be clean, all right, and have it be safe. Like, no, no cockroaches and, like, you know, complete, like, scum type of a place. Uh, have it be clean and have it be safe. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and he says, you in the sight of a lot of people are unclean, and you in the sight of a lot of people are unsafe, and I am going to stay with you. I must stay with you. This is a divine imperative. I don't know if you see this in the text. I must stay at your house. This is a divine necessity. Jesus is saying, I have to stay with you. And I just imagine this interaction. Jesus walking into his house for the first time. So Zacchaeus, this is a pretty nice place. You know, you, you uh, have a pretty comfortable situation here. And Zacchaeus is maybe over here and he says, yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed it. And, and Jesus maybe says, what do you do for a living? And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a tax collector. Uh, and Jesus is like, oh, tax collector? Well, how's that going for you? Looks like you're making some money. Are you, are you treating people fairly? And, uh, well, you know, I'm, I, uh, I'm given free reign to do what I want. And uh, you can just imagine this interaction of Zacchaeus kind of like awkwardly interacting with Jesus. At some point, at some point, he stands up. He stands up and repents. And this is a beautiful moment. This is a beautiful moment in the scriptures. In contrast to uh, the people who are grumbling, Right? The people who look at Jesus, he's gone in to be the guest of a sinner, of a tax collector. The Israelites grumbled at the beginning of the Exodus. This is a wilderness word. And then the Israelites become kind of like a living parable for what it means to be lost as they roam through the desert for 40 years. And here we have another wilderness word in the grumbling of the Jewish people looking on with Jesus entering into the house of Zacchaeus. Jesus stays with sinners. I think that there are some real covenant promises here that we need to turn our ear to. Uh, maybe you have an adult child, son or daughter of yours, who has walked away from the faith, uh, or maybe a college student that you know that is wrestling with some big doubts of Christianity. And I think that um, we can rest assured that Jesus stays with sinners. Jesus stays with sinners. And first and foremost, we probably need to apply this to ourselves, that we are not worthy of God's love, that we are, in fact, sinners. But Jesus has chosen to walk into our house despite our uncleanliness. He stays with us, that Jesus stays with sinners. Let's move on to, to the third point here. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners. Look at, uh, again, verses 9 and 10. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? This was the Israelite hope. This was the Jewish hope of salvation, to be a son of Abraham, to be part of the covenant promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis. This is God marking a people that says, I have called you and you are mine, if you are a son or daughter of Abraham. And here Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you are a son of Abraham. If we jump forward to uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians, we see that he defines a son of Abraham as somebody who has faith in Jesus Christ. How do you become a son of Abraham is to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is what it means to be a son or daughter of Abraham. You see, Zacchaeus demonstrates this involvement, uh, this identity as being a son of Abraham through his repentance. Repentance is, if you're walking one way in disobedience, you turn unto the Lord. This is what repentance is. It's a big shift. It's a turn, right? And we get the practice of doing this every week corporately and hopefully individually more often, where we get to dethrone ourselves, take ourselves off of the throne to a place uh, where God is restored in our life to the place that he ought to be. And here we have Zacchaeus doing just that. At some point throughout this meal, with Jesus staying with him, he stands up. Okay, that means they were seated together, likely reclining at a table together, which is you know, part of creating a covenant together. And Zacchaeus stands up. He stands up. And he says, you know what? I know that I have wronged people. I know that I have taken people's money unfairly and their possessions, and I'm going to return it to them. But not only that, I'm going to restore it fourfold. This would be costly for anybody, even a wealthy person. Half of his goods he gives to the poor, and then he restores fourfold. Zacchaeus might not have been a practicing Jew, but he certainly knew his Old Testament because this is exactly in line with what he should have been doing. We look at a couple passages in 1 Samuel and Exodus. We see that he has to do this. This is part of the code of the law. He has to restore things fourfold. And here we have Zacchaeus responding with open-handed generosity. He's saying, hey, I have wronged people. Let me make it up. Let me respond in generosity by giving away half of my possessions. Half of his net worth was off to the poor, was off to other people. This is a drastic demonstration of repentance, of turning unto God. Not necessarily turning from disobedience to obedience, but turning from disobedience to God. And it's a, a remarkable story here with Zacchaeus. And like I said, this is a, a contrast to the chapter before with the rich young ruler who comes up to God, how can I inherit eternal life? And he's not willing to part with his stuff. 
unlike Zacchaeus, who is willing to part with his stuff, with his possessions. You see, liberation for Zacchaeus, we can say that Zacchaeus was enslaved. He was in bondage to the comforts of his money and his things. But liberation for Zacchaeus doesn't mean like, uh, okay, you know, all that law stuff, it's just all grace, and so I don't really have to worry about God's law. No. Zacchaeus is living in accord with the law. Liberation for Zacchaeus is delighting in God's law. It's seeing God's law as the way that things ought to be. The way that God has set this world in motion and he's living into it. And the same thing is true for you and for me. And when we repent, we get to respond with radical generosity. Radical generosity. With our time, with our resources, with our prayers, all sorts of ways that we can respond in radical generosity. John Newton, a famous hymn writer, wrote a wonderful song that I'm sure all of you have heard called Amazing Grace. I love the fact that this song is still sung in popular circles, Christian and non. You know, it starts off, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I just imagine Zacchaeus rejoicing this way alongside John Newton and so many people that Zacchaeus once was lost and now he's found. That you and I once were lost, but now we're found. In the Ezekiel passage that we read, that Bo read this morning, God says, I will go after my sheep. I will seek them. I'm going to find them. And I will shepherd them. We finally walked out of Michael's, resigned to the fact that this ring just wasn't going to be found. We probably left our phone number with the manager or something like that. Still snowy in the parking lot out there, and we went out. And sure enough, under the brake pedal on the driver's side, there's a little bit of a, a gleam, a little bit of a, a light shining, reflecting off. And there was the ring. And what relief! What relief to find this ring. And as important as that ring was, as, as much as was wrapped up into that ring, and how joyful it was to recover and to find that ring. How much more valuable are we to God? How much more does Jesus rejoice over one sheep that has been found? One sinner who repents and comes unto God. Jesus was walking through Jericho on his way to the most climactic event in human history. So that sinners like Zacchaeus and sinners like you and me could be restored to a relationship with him. Please bow your heads in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that you have given to us in Luke and the way that you have been faithful and consistent and loving, and the way that you pursue us, the way that you seek us, the way that you stay with us, the way that you 
save us. We thank you that you have brought us into your family and that we might be able to call ourselves sons and daughters of Abraham. I thank you for this church and the way that uh, we are able to gather and to worship you, mediated by your son, Jesus Christ. And so all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.